I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so we're in our we're in our um, class class and avaspinam. In terms of the Jewish calendar, many of you know that Shabbos was Rosh Chodesh Av, the beginning of the month of. And as the expression goes, when the month of Av comes in, we diminish in our simcha. We become diminished in our simcha. One second, I'm just going to. Uh, Mute everybody. Okay, that's better. And of course, there's certain laws that we practice as this time of mourning becomes more and more intense as we're going towards Tisha B'Av. And um, I just wanted to mention one idea. The first temple was destroyed for three cardinal sins. Um, in Judaism, we're told that we have to give up our life rather than commit these sins. And these were the sins of murder, idolatry, and adultery or illicit relationships. And um, interestingly, the, the first temple was destroyed because of these three sins and it stood for at least, I hope I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I should have looked it up, but about 450 years. It was built by King Solomon, King David's son. And it fell by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, because of these three sins. And then 70 years later, the second temple was rebuilt. And this is after the Purim story. And that temple was destroyed, we're told, because of Sinas Pinam, because of causeless hatred. And as I've said in other classes, every generation in which the temple is not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed because the rectification of that sin of, of Sinas Chinam has not been fixed, has not been resolved. Now, when you think about hating people, where you think about murder, idolatry, and adultery, and you put them on a scale, which sins would you think were worse? So, I mean, it would seem to me that if you're supposed to give up your life for those three big ones, it would seem that that would be much worse. What the rabbis teach us is the reason that it was fixed so quickly and the, and the second temple was rebuilt only 70 years later is because these were very external type of sins. They were something that everybody understood was wrong. And for whatever reason, the society was corrupt at the time. And the Jewish people had gone astray. And the prophet Yirmiyahu was warning them about their behavior, that something terrible would happen if they didn't mend their ways. But everybody was very clear about you know, these external sins. However, when it comes to Sinas Chinam, the reason that the temple has not been rebuilt is because Sinas Chinam is something that we can pretend 
we isn't really there. Or if it is there, I certainly don't hate people. I certainly don't have causeless hatred of other Jews. But obviously, this is a sin that is even more insidious because of the fact that we can't see it or touch it. But of course, you know, Lashon Hara and all kinds of different ways that we put other people down or hate other groups of Jews or point fingers at other people, you know, these are all ways that manifest in Sinas Chinam. And of course, of course, they're much more difficult to uproot because we generally like to think we're okay. And of course, it's the other guy that has the problem. But that's not a good enough excuse. Okay, so we're going to start our class today uh, with the Gemara and Kiddushin, which basically in English says that negativity comes from harping on some character flaw blemish or trait that is unfavorable in you. So you're harping on a character trait or flaw that really exists in you, but you see it in another person. Rav Noah Weinberg Zatzal used to say that the definition of love is focusing on the other person's virtue. When we don't love others freely, sometimes we have a negative association going on in our heads about that particular person or group. The fact that I'm so aware of your weaknesses and it's so blaring and active in my mind means there's something wrong with me, right? If I'm going over and over again, one of your negative flaws, one of your weaknesses, one of your annoying behaviors that disturb me, that bug me, one of your character traits that's so different than mine. And the problem is with me, not with the other person. Well, yes. Are you joking? <laughs> no, no, no. He wouldn't be answering the phone. He wouldn't answer the phone. Thank you. Let me up. try this again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I must be getting some kind of benefit out of thinking this way. When I go over and over your faults and your mistakes, it means that there's some kind of benefit that I'm deriving from that. Now, there's a famous rabbi in Israel who was known as a real tzaddik. I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. I think he is. His name was Rav Svi Meir Silberberg. And he's a tzaddik in Jerusalem who's known as a Ohev Yisroel, right? He loves the Jewish people. And the reason that he really stands out is because he loves Jews of all types and denominations, and even those Jews who are far, far below his level in terms of their spiritual excellence. So what he says... Um, Sometimes people focus on somebody else's spiritual flaw. For example, you know, somebody doesn't dress properly in terms of their tzniu. Somebody doesn't talk properly in terms of, you know, a refined type of speech. And what he says in his Sefer, in the book that he wrote, and he puts this in very large print, 
He says, any criticism that you see in another person is never coming from a spiritual place in yourself. You know, it's the holier than thou place that we go to. You know, when we look at another person and analyze them and say, oh, you know, I know exactly what's wrong with you. I know exactly what you need to fix. He says we can feel very holy. You know, we can feel like we're doing a great service by doing this for them. And his major point that he makes in a safer is, is that the fact that your spiritual sensitivity, right? And let's say in religious matters, right? I always say, what's the definition of a fanatic? Any Jew that's more religious than I am, right? Okay. So, you know, this is the idea that when it comes to spiritual things, oh, you know, whatever you're doing, if people are doing less than that, then you can have this spiritual indignation, you know, this holy chutzpah or whatever it might be, right? This spiritual um, desire that you think is really lofty, but it's coming from a place, he says, The fact that your spiritual sensitivity is making you look down on others means there must be something wrong with you. You haven't done your homework. You haven't really checked your own little flaws and those crevices and all those other places that are dark and need work. And he says, You want to you want to look at my at my problems, at my character flaws? Go to the craftsman who made me. Go to the one who created me. Hashem made me with these imperfections. Sometimes when we have a certain strength, we're bothered by the other person who doesn't have that strength. And it's very hard to ignore it. For example, you know, a very common example, right? If If you were never into nutrition and all of a sudden you take a course on eating mindfully or, you know, you start getting into nutrition and all of that. Now you're going to notice everybody else who eats garbage or feeds garbage to their kids, right? If you are very careful about something, all of a sudden when other people aren't into that, it's magnified in your mind. And this is true when we raise our level, whether it's a physical, material practice that we're doing right we're really in shape we exercise all the time we have a really hard time with all those people walking around who don't do anything for themselves physically we have disdain for them perhaps anyway the point is 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 when when we raise our level in whatever area it is whether it's physical or spiritual it gives us another reason to look down on other people Well, our challenge is to grow in whichever area, but not cause our love for others to be compromised by the fact that we're growing. You know, it's very common with Bale Chuba, by the way. You know, especially when you, um, you know, weren't raised with um, Judaism and then you find out more and more about it. It's very easy to become very angry at the people around you or you know, very impatient or feel like what's wrong with everybody else? Why aren't they growing the way I'm growing? And this is very, very hard 
but this is what he's talking about and in, in a you know that's a more extreme case because it's it's almost part of the process that you have to sort of push away what you once were and all all that is a part of that environment in order to be able to grow but it's very difficult to do it without you know being obsessed with the spiritual flaws of the people around you we don't want to have a reason to dislike another person because they're not up to our standard okay i love this example he says i think that this is not his example but gina schoonmaker made this example in a more uh, female way so she says let's say you see this woman who's walking down the street and she's dressed to the nines and she's absolutely beautiful and she's so put together but you can't believe it you notice that her slip is slipping right her slip is showing or she forgot to do the zipper up on the back of her dress so she says what's human reaction so the first thing you do is you're like Okay, now, if you're this type of person and you don't even know, know the lady and she's walking by, very few of us are going to run over to her and say, oh, you know, I just wanted to tell you that your slip is slipping or your zipper is open. We're not going to do that, right? So she says, so what do we do? And, and why do we not do this? Because you notice it, but you look away. Because you feel embarrassed for the person. You feel bad for the person. You look away and you don't even keep looking at it again and again. You don't want to see her looking that way. Now, a child, on the other hand, if he would see something funny like that, a child might keep looking over and over and over again, giggle and laugh and point and have a good chuckle with his friends, right? But what do we do? Not only do we look away and we're embarrassed, what's the next thing we do, ladies? We check our own slip, right? We check our own slip. We check our own zipper. We ask ourselves, this is our human reaction. And why do we do this? Because we're saying, gee, this could happen to me too. And I want to make sure it's not happening to, happening to me right now. Okay. So this is the mashal. This is the this is the story, and now we're going to talk about the nimshal. The par this is a parable. So what do we learn from this? What is this telling us? When I see somebody's flaw, I notice it, but choosing to notice it again and again and again is juvenile behavior. If I catch your weakness, your vulner vulnerability, I'm going to look away. Now, you know, in spiritual terms, let's say it's a person who's so unaware of their flaw. You know, let's say it's somebody who speaks Lashonhara all the time, nonstop. They have no concept, uh, you know, that, that this is a Isser from the Torah, that they're not, you're not allowed to just walk around speaking badly about everybody else. And you see their flaw, it's so open. They're even proud of what they're doing, right? They win the Lashonhara Award of the Year right? They're what, what's called in Hebrew, the Baal Lashon Hara, meaning a master of Lashon Hara, right? 
So they don't even realize that they're being caught exposed because they're so unaware. Now, people who are proudly displaying their weakness because they don't even realize it's a weakness, if they saw it through your eyes, they would be embarrassed. But the idea of checking your own slip is, you know, I caught you exposed. I caught you with your slip slipping. I caught you with that flaw. I see your flaw. But you know what? I have my own flaws. I have my own slip to check. You know, I yell at my kids every week before Shabbos because I'm a nervous wreck and I can't get my act together. I wouldn't want people to know that. I wouldn't want that to be exposed. So the idea is, is I'm sorry I saw this in you. I wish I didn't. And I'm looking away. It's interesting because when I was... Um, listening to this and, and learning it and thinking about it, it actually happened to me right afterwards. Somebody in my circle one, who just happens to have a sort of impulsive behavior. But anyway, the point is, is, you know, she was really had been working on herself and we had sort of come to this incredible new level of relationship. And, um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, she reverted back to her old way just for a moment. And, but it was very painful. It was as if a knife went in and turned. And because I had just learned this, I realized, you know what? That's her slip showing. She's such a good person. She really wants to have a great relationship with me. But she can't help herself. You know, it's still, it's not... It's not, it didn't disappear completely because it's a life's work. And I could be that compassionate because we, we, we reached this new level of relationship. So that I really felt like this is what this means. That I saw your slip. I saw your flaw. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. I don't want to look there. I want to look away. You know, as painful as it was. And of course, this was followed up by she she immediately realized that she had regressed and sent me an apology immediately um you know and i milked it a little bit you know i said well i i was really hurt just to like help her to for the next time to have even more ammunition to to remember that it's not okay it's not okay to do that but the generosity that I felt I was able to give her, because I said, what? I don't have flaws. I don't have things I do over and over and over again. The things I might say or, you know, insensitivities. Of course I do. And, you know, as we said in many classes, Hashem gives us our negatives. He gives us those things that we have to overcome. And when they're showing and they're exposed, to others, we hope that they're going to be kind. We hope that they're going to look away and check, as, as we're saying here, not just look away, but check your own slip. When we focus on other people's flaws, it's like I'm saying, I don't have any. I don't have any flaws, or certainly not in that area. 
it's one thing to notice something and it's another thing to harp on it. Whether you're harping on it uh, verbally or whether you're harping on it in your mind. Because then you're gonna tell your sister all about it and you get, then you're gonna tell your husband all about it and it's gonna go you know, on and on and re, you're gonna rehash the story over and over again in your head. And you're like that five-year-old who keeps pointing at the open zipper over and over and over again. So when we do that, what we're trying to establish here is it's not coming from a mature part of me. It's coming from a childlike part of me that's almost happy to see somebody else exposed. It's funny or it's, you know. So what is Ahabas Yisrael, loving, loving the Jewish people, loving others? It means we have to focus on their positive and almost be embarrassed about catching their weaknesses and their being exposed. When you're naturally good at something, that's your homer. So you should celebrate it. It's a gift. Don't be angry that, that others don't have it. You're very flexible. Somebody else is very rigid. You know, you're a very generous person. Somebody else is more miserly. You know, you're able to laugh things off because you, you know, you are a more easygoing type of person. Another person is very anxious and worried all the time. So, you know, celebrate the fact that you were given this gift. Don't put other people down for the fact that they weren't. And remember, they might have something in another area that you don't have. They definitely do because we all are so completely different. And we all, as we said in other classes, have a completely different constellation of traits, positive and negative. Now, something that you work really hard to attain, when you work really hard at something, that's when it becomes more easy to put other people down in that area. Because you might be asking yourself or telling yourself, what's wrong with you? Why don't you work as hard at this? Why don't you care more about this? We're usually more critical about people who are more like us, but didn't become what we became because we worked hard and they didn't. Why don't they do that, right? They went to school, they have an education, and we compare them to us and we say, you know, you had the same opportunities, what's wrong with you? So here it's a more of a spiritual concept. The idea is that it means that you're attributing your success to your efforts. Now it's true, we live in a world of Teva, we live in a world of the natural world. And of course, when we make efforts, generally we're successful in life. But we all know of cases where people work hard, they make their efforts and they don't reach the same place as you did, or they just don't succeed, right? even if they're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, they might not succeed. We don't, you know, I'm just giving that as a more, you know, professional example. 
So this is a very interesting idea. It says that, that you will never know the ratio between your efforts and the siyata dishmaya that Hashem gave you. What's, what's siyata dishmaya? It's an Aramaic term. I need siyata dishmaya, whatever I do. If I need him to help me, he'll always come through. Never will I be alone. With his help, I can stand on my own. Siyata dishmaya literally means help from heaven. So we make our efforts. Again, this goes back to bitachon. But then we say to Hashem, you know, I'm making my efforts. I'm doing what I have to do. But it's up to you whether I'm going to be successful or not. So when a person arrogantly looks at another person and says, what's wrong with you? You know, you have everything I have. You know, you could have made something of yourself. So it says that you are not, you may not know the ratio. It could be your thinking, this was 95% effort. In other words, if it was 95% effort, you can do this too. But maybe it was really 95% siyata dishmaya and 5% you. The fact that your education helped you, inspired you, motivated you to make changes could all have been siyata dishmaya. We can both grow up. You can take two people who grow up with the same life situations, and yet the results are not the same. And this is why we say this is the element of siyata dishmaya. You have to factor it in. For whatever reason, God allows one person to be successful and another person not at least not in the way that we define success, okay? And we don't know God's cheshbon. We don't know his accounting. But the point is, is when another person looks at, at, at someone else and says, what's wrong with you? They don't understand that as long as that person is making some effort, you know, as long as they try and they try, they don't seem to be successful, then for whatever reason, you know, they're not having the siyata dishmaya that they need. Okay. So what about the areas where I don't seem to have siyata dishmaya? What about my slip? This will help me be modest and look away from your flaw. In other words, what if Hashem took away my siyata dishmaya? What if he took away that extra help from heaven? That's part of my ratio. So instead of anger and condescension, we should turn that into humility and sympathy. I'm sorry I saw this in you. I want to be more focused on your virtue. So there's something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's a psychological practice. And basically what it says is people are wired in their brains with certain associations that are very strong in our heads. And what happens is when you love someone freely, you have a very positive association, right? When you think of that person, all these wonderful images and thoughts come into your head. 
Okay. You might be thinking about the way they look, the way they speak, a talent that they have, or even something that they did for you. The people with a negative mindset of a person have all kinds of negative associations. Maybe it's a negative trait or a situation that happened between you. So what this uh, linguistic neuro-linguistic programming says, it, it asks the question, how can we change the way we've been programmed? If I have a negative association with you, and it blocks me from ahavas chinam, from loving you freely, then I need to develop a different perspective of you. And it's like a Rubik's Cube, right? A Rubik's Cube, depending on what side you look at, is different from every side. So I might be looking at you from one side, but what I need to do is develop cognitive flexibility or as this uh, NLP says, create new associations about you, right? Or back to Rav Noah Weinberg, find a virtue and focus on it so that I can change my neuro-linguistic programming. So is it neuro-linguistic? Yeah, okay, neuro-linguistic programming. So... Because you know what? We all know that people are multidimensional. And sometimes we're focused on one side of the person that's negative. What we want to do is try to flip over the Rubik's Cube to another side. Try to associate this person with a positive word. So, you know, you have somebody in your circle one that's really hard. Make a list of the things that are really great about them. Make a list of those words that encapsulate some of their positive traits, their positive tendencies. Listen, if we're already negative with them and they're negative in our mind, you know, it's not going to be easy to have a long list. But even if we have two or three words that are positive and give us a new perspective and, and we work to associate them with these positives okay so someone who let's say is aggressive and we think of them as pushy right or we think of the way they talk and and badger us as being pushy so we can change the word aggressive to let's say efficient right they like to get things done they're very perseverant um they don't give up they are, you know, whatever. The point is, is, is we have to flip it around. So this reprograms the way you feel about the person. So that's homework number one today, ladies, is to think of somebody in your circle one, right, who it's hard to find the good in and make a list of, you know, it doesn't have to be a long list, that when you think about them, you're going to think about them at least a couple times of a day and associate them with this positive character trait. Because there's no such thing as anybody who doesn't have them. Um, there's another way that you can reprogram the way you feel about a person. Let's say there's somebody you really dislike. So it says that you can smell your favorite perfume while you think of them. 
And that can actually change the way you think. Somebody said, no, I just never want to wear that perfume again. <laughs> but anyway, the idea is, is that you want to try and make some positive associations in your mind. Reassociate the way we relate to this person and think of them generously from the angle of their good character trait. Associate the person with a positive word for their sake and for yours, even more so for yours, because you want to be happy. You want to be a loving person whose love is free flowing, right? And when we're able to focus on the virtue of another, we're doing it for ourselves. It's not like, I don't, I'm not doing this for you. You don't deserve it. You know, you're a, you're a, a shlemiel. You're a lowlife. You're an ingrate. You're a this, you're a that. You've got a lot of easy words that come naturally when we're angry and upset at people, right? But after we calm down, or if this is somebody who is a recurring visitor in your life, and has recurring, uh, recurring offenders, right? It's very difficult. But again, we don't want to focus on the slip. We don't want to focus on the open zipper. Because our slip is also showing. So we want other people to be as generous with us as we are with them. And, you know, soon Elul is coming up. And we know that there's a saying in the Gemara and Rosh Hashanah that says that the exact way that you judge other people is the exact way that Hashem will judge you. So if you're forgiving, if you're generous, if you're kind, if you expand yourself and focus on the virtue and not the negative, then God does exactly the same with you. Right? If you give others the benefit of the doubt, if you realize they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have, and perhaps their toolbox, you know, is not very well equipped. They don't exactly know how to use the tools that are there. Then Hashem also cuts us some flack, slack, <laughs> cuts us some slack. And he says, okay. The way you judge my children, that's how I judge you. If you're compassionate, I'm also compassionate. If you're only compassionate a little, I can only be compassionate a little. Right? Hashem is my shadow. That's what David HaMelech said. Hashem imitates and mimics us and responds to us. Okay. So by doing this, we'll be able to love the other person more freely. Okay, so I have a little bit more, um, and this is about Tisha B'Av. So I can either do it now. Can I ask a question before you get to that? Sure, 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 please. Who's that? Teresa, sorry. Of course it's you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, Risa. No, we love it. We love reputation proceeds. We love it. Go ahead. The rabbi that you spoke about, yeah, um, that you said may or may not still be with us in Israel. 
No. What was his name? And is his book in English? I'm not sure if his book is in English, but I can find out. He's pretty famous. His name is Rav Svi Mayer Silverberg. Silverberg. And I can find that out for you, Lisa, okay? I would really like to know. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. Let's try this. This is an incredible talk on Tisha B'Av. Okay. So let's see if I can get through this. Okay. Question begins. Do I have any sin in my life? Do I have any hatred in my life that I, that I'm living with? So um, I don't know if you remember, there was a terrible tragedy that happened in Borough Park. I think it was more than four years ago, probably six or five years ago now where this little boy, Levi Klutsky, was found murdered, and a Jew actually murdered him. Another religious Jew, I think he was religious, he obviously wasn't normal, um, and they found him in a garbage can. I don't remember all the details, but it was a terrible, terrible tragedy, and it rocked Burl Park and the entire Jewish world. And somebody called Dina Schoonmaker to speak on Tisha B'Av, and asked her, asked her, what are we supposed to learn from this terrible situation? What can we learn from such a horrific and cruel incident? So very interestingly, the word in Hebrew for cruel is the word achzar, achzariot. And it's a compound word made up of two words, okay? Ach means only, and zar means strange, only strange. When we see a person this way, when we see a person as only strange, only different, right? Then we have, then, then what we think to ourselves is we, we have, no, they have nothing to do with us. And that's when we can be cruel. So the question is, where do we find cruelty in ourselves? You know, every Mita, we all have it. Now, obviously, there's large amounts of it, and people that are usually behind bars or, you know, have committed terrible atrocities. But even in the average person, we can have places where we behave in a cruel way. Let me explain. The meta of cruelty is a meta in many people's personalities. Do I have any cruelty in me? Most of us will say no, because none of us will practice cruelty, sorry. Hmm. Okay. Okay, none of us will practice cruelty in a real way. But what about character assassination? What about destroying a person in my head? This is a more subtle form of cruelty, of achzariot. Where can I see myself engaged in a behavior that I do not wish my behaviors to be? Okay, so Chazal, the rabbis teach us that animal, about animals that are cruel. This is very interesting, okay? These are animals that the Talmud brings down are cruel animals. So the first one is an oreb, an orave, a raven. A raven is a black bird. You see them in Jerusalem. They're not friendly. 
They stand over garbage pails. They steal your sandwiches at the park. And Chazal says in Tehillim, Hashem takes care of all the needs of his creations. And it says specifically there, Hashem gives sustenance to the children of the raven who call him. Why does a baby raven have to call out to Hashem? Why does this Tehillim say, tell us that the raven calls out to Hashem and not to his mother? Why this is, is because the mother can be very cruel to her child. Mother ravens don't feed their newborns. And that's why they have to turn to Hashem. So the Gemara asks the question, is this really true? And it says there in the answer, here when they are pale and here when they are dark. What does it mean? So a baby raven is born white. The mother looks at the baby and says, ah, this baby is strange. It doesn't look like me. When the baby grows older and turns the same color, then the mother raven begins to take care of it. In other words, this is the idea of you're not my type. You don't look like me. You don't act like me. Now, this is where the term xenophobia comes from, the fear of strangers. If someone is, uh, if someone is like you, you don't talk about them in, in a disparaging way. But when some, somebody is not familiar, is not like you, then we have to watch our behavior. So this is the first, uh, the first example of seeing where you need to improve in terms of this type of achsario. Okay, second example, the Gemara says, we learn cruelty from a yaela, an ibex. This is an animal that's part of the deer family. This mother, listen to what she does, okay, ladies? So if you think you've ever been, wanted to throw your own children off a cliff, she actually does this, okay? <laughs> when the mother gives birth, she goes to the top of a high mountain. So when the baby is born, it starts rolling down the mountain, okay? It topples down the mountain. Hashem sends an eagle to catch the baby and bring it back to its mother, the mother actually accepts the baby back and only then goes on to take care of them. In one second before, she was going to facilitate the child's death, and now she's happy to have it. So why is this? So we can relate to this in terms of human abortion, okay? Because the fetus is not fully alive, we don't have compassion on it, right? And that's why doctors will perform abortions. I mean, I, you know, I guess she wrote this a few years ago and she's not familiar with what's going on now because it used to be that, you know, uh, if you give the doctor, sorry. Hold on one sec. It says basically that once, once the child's formed and once the child, you know, comes out of the womb, a doctor is not going to perform an abortion because now it's a real entity. Okay. Although today I heard that uh, we're getting to the point where they even could do it after birth or something. It's pretty, pretty sad, pretty bad. I, I think that's what's going on. 
in some countries. Okay, so in the animal kingdom, if you don't view something as being a live entity, okay, so we see this in terms of ourselves and the animal kingdom. If you don't see something as alive, as a real entity, you have no trouble killing them. Okay, you have no trouble killing a fly. You have no trouble killing ants on the floor. But if somebody told you to take a knife and go and kill a horse, you'd have a lot more difficult time doing that. The reason I can kill ants is because I don't view them as real life. So this Yaella, this Ibex, will do something cruel because he doesn't relate to the recipient as being a live entity. So how does this relate to us? So if we see somebody is real, right, we might not talk about that person, but we'll talk about groups, we'll talk about schools, we'll talk about, you know, hashkafas and people who have the wrong philosophies, and we'll do it with an edge in our voice. We'll do it, you know, with a hatred, with a feeling of they're not real, so I can say whatever I want about them, okay? All right, the last animal that's considered very cruel is a python, a nachash. Says in the Gemara, the mother sometimes eats her children. So what are we supposed to learn from this? The balei machshava, meaning the masters of deep thought, um, explain it like this. The nachash is tied up with the concept of human mortality, right? It was the nachash, the snake in the Garden of Eden, that brought death into the world. The punishment for Adam and Chava, beginning with the Nachash, right? Who began the whole process is that now they would die. So it says the Nachash is tied up with this concept of human mortality. The Nachash does cruel things because it's basically nihilistic. It has this feeling that inevitably we're gonna die anyway. It's all going to end. So why not do this? And this is where his cruelty comes from. So how does that relate to us? When I'm feeling pessimistic, when I'm feeling in a bad mood, when I'm feeling just like I already messed up, who cares what I do next? We may not be so careful about you know, how we treat other people. So the example that Dina Schoonmaker gives is there was a tornado in New Orleans many years ago. Many people were impoverished and stranded. There were students who for six months were there trying to help animals and people. But there were other people who took advantage of the unfortunate situation and pillaged and plundered whatever was left from the tornado. And this is sometimes what happens. When things are awful, people have less impulse control. When they see that things are already going downhill. So when things are already going downhill, let's say between you and another person, you're talking to each other and the, uh, the conversation is escalating and your ability to respect the other person is going the other way, disintegrating. So we might throw in an extra comment, right? Or let's say a kid who got in trouble and, you know, he feels like, okay, who cares anymore? And he just continues to spiral downward. So the point here is to watch your behavior when you're having a hard time, 
that you don't end up being cruel. Okay, so again, just to, um, just to um, summarize. So there's three areas that we need to look at cruelty in ourselves. The first one is dealing with complete strangers, somebody who is so different than you. They're not my type, you know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't go there. I don't do those people. I don't want to be with them, you know. Number two, you don't see the person as real. They're just a certain type to you, a certain stereotype. And the third one is when things aren't going well, when you yourself are feeling kind of nihilistic in some small way, like who cares what I do? Who cares what I say? Doesn't really matter, right? That's when we have to be careful. The example is, you know, you broke your diet, so you're just going to eat the whole tub of ice cream, okay? So look out for these three times to watch for cruelty. So Tisha B'Av is, is a day where we're supposed to be sad. We're not supposed to be happy. We're crying. We don't have any pleasure on this day. So what does this, what does the, what's the purpose of this day? How does this fit into the Jewish life, which is permeated? By Simcha, right? Ibdu es Hashem Simcha, serve God with joy. How does this fit in that we have to have this kind of day in the calendar? Okay, so this is the last point, and then we're going to end. So the Jewish people are compared to a husband and a wife. Now, here's a story it's, an, it's a mashal, a parable. Imagine a man who was very talented. He was articulate. He was prolific. He was well-loved by his students, professor, highly respected. And one day he has a stroke. He survives the stroke, but he lost a lot of brain power. He's not able to talk. He's limited physically, and he needs a lot of rehabilitation. So his wife is with him by his side. She stays all day with her husband and she cheers him on. The therapists come every day, the nurses and the doctors, and they work with him. And every time he does something, everybody's cheering him. Wow, today you said, bah. Wow, today you moved your baby finger. And the whole time she's cheering him on. At the end of the day, the therapists go home, the nurses and doctors aren't there, and she's alone, and he's sleeping. And she can't help thinking about what he used to be, and she misses who he used to be. Of course, tomorrow she's going to cheer him on again. Yay, you moved. Yay, you said bah. Roshimshan Pinka says, that this is a mashal, this is a parable of the Jewish people. That most of the year, the Jewish people celebrate their accomplishments. That Hashem celebrates our progress. He cheers on the Jewish people. The Torah and the chesed that we do. The incredible mitzvot that the Jewish people are all about. The beauty of the Jewish people. But once a year, Hashem tells us to remember that these are just baby steps. 
that whatever you have right now, however the world is right now, it's nothing compared to what you once had. It's nothing compared to who you once were. When you had the base of Mikdash, when you had the temple, when the whole world understood that you're God's people and that the Kimitzion takes a Torah, that from Jerusalem goes forth the Torah, right, which is the salvation for all of mankind, not just for the Jewish people. So on Tisha B'Av, we cry like that lady who sits by the bed of her husband because we're sad about the lack of closeness that we aren't able to feel of Hashem in the world. We're sad because the amount of Sina, of hatred, that we just experienced again with the Gaza uprising, that the nations of the world feel against us, the Jewish people, who are the most precious in God's eyes and who are the consciousness of God in this world that lets us know how far the world still is or how intense those who hate God hate us. So I don't want to add to the Sina in the world. I'm going to be the person who brings more love into the world. And that's why, ladies, we've been talking about Ahavas Chinam over these last few weeks, because it begins with us, right? If we can bring more Ahava, Ahavas Yisroel, Ahavas Chinam to the people in our circle one, loving people for no good reason, not looking at their flaws, not thinking of others as strange and, you know, again, the word achsar, cruel, means not like me, right? Only strange. Um, then God willing, we can each do our part in rebuilding the base of Mikdash. And, you know, living in a world and in a time that will be beyond our comprehension in terms of the incredible closeness that we'll all feel towards Hashem and all of the other good things that will come together with that. So thanks so much for being with me on this journey through Avashinam. And may we all be successful in just taking small baby steps towards bringing this into our lives more. Okay, thank you. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class, or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at Yahoo.ca.